Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and today I'm talking with Jenny Kraska, who is the new Executive Director of the Maryland Catholic Conference. We're in the MCC office in Annapolis. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So you've come to us from Colorado. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your experience there at the Colorado Catholic Conference and why you came to Maryland. Sure. So I was with the Colorado Catholic Conference for a little over 12 years um, in the role of Executive Director of that conference and um, enjoyed greatly my time in Colorado, learned a lot about a lot of different issues, as you can imagine. Colorado um, is known for some pretty diverse issues. They certainly are. Um, And had the opportunity to come to Maryland and was just really excited about the change in conferences in terms of the issues that you're dealing with, the location in terms of being so close to really the center of politics with DC and just the opportunity to get to to take my experience and my knowledge and apply it to sort of a bigger arena um, out here in Maryland. You've worked with the the Conference of State Catholic Conference Directors as well, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. What did you learn from working with Catholic Conference Directors from all around the country? I imagine some of the issues are very similar and some of them are unique to that place. Yes. But how do you deal with that together? Sure, um, it's a great question. We really, what's really unique about I think the directors um, nationally is that we are able to come together um, as a group twice a year mm-hmm. and really talk through the issues that we have, as you mentioned, in common and those that differ. And what's wonderful about that opportunity is that we're able to discuss what's worked in, in our states and what didn't work in mm-hmm. terms of strategy, messaging, how we approached issues, who we got to strategize with us and collaborate with us, Mm -hmm. um, what partners were useful, and just really make those connections. Because a lot of times what we find from state to state is that a partner, a national organization, for example, that worked with us in one state, sometimes all they need is a a call in another state to work with us on that same issue. So making those connections and understanding how to collaborate on different issues has really been a, a fantastic resource. I think most, if not all of us, would say that those meetings and the opportunity to collaborate outside of of those meetings is phenomenally helpful. It probably also gives you a chance to commiserate and say, well, we <laughs> lost this one and it was really hard and we did this, but but you might get buoyed up by the efforts of other people who say, well, you know, we tried this and it worked and it was wonderful and, and we got the legislation passed that we wanted to or we, we were able to stop the legislation that we didn't want to stop. What kinds of things, as you talk about, specifically with other directors, what are the, some of the strategies that seem to work best and some of the partnerships that seem to work best? Sure. Um, you know, it really is dependent state to state sometimes and issue to issue. But I would say by and large, on the issues that we're all dealing with or that a majority of us are dealing with, it's really finding people that we can work to get outside organizations. So it's not always just a church-led effort, mm-hmm. um, whether that's opposing or supporting any particular piece of legislation, but that it's really um, a common effort. And I think that's where we have found across the board that finding those outside partners that are not necessarily religious based sometimes um, and more than sometimes oftentimes leads to a more robust effort um, when we are 
are dealing with any issue in state government. It's not always easy to just be the church says this. Yeah. Um, so when it's the church and secular groups and outside groups that can come together and all work on an issue, I think it gives more credence sometimes to the issue um, that we're dealing with, especially in the eyes of legislators. Mm -hmm. um, so those partners, I think, are really, and again, depending on what the issue is, you know, I think that we are willing to work with, with anyone <laughs> almost uh, yeah. on many issues as long as we agree on the issue in the bill. I think that it's important to see the diversity in partnership, mm -hmm. um, that it's not just the church or the church with this group or that group. It's really the church is something to be proud of, is that mm -hmm. the church does come together with a lot of varied groups and outside collaborators to, to get an issue or a policy passed. Mm -hmm. There might be a tendency on some legislators' part to say, oh, well, that's just the Catholics. Let's ignore right. them. You know, I don't need to listen to them. I'm, I'm not Catholic. I don't, you know, exactly. that doesn't matter. But if they start seeing the Catholic conferences partnered with an association of, that serves people with disabilities mm -hmm. or an association that works to end violence in the city, right. then they start to think, oh, wait, maybe those ideas are a little broader than I thought. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, and that's, I mean, we find that across, Not it's not just common to Maryland. It's, I would say, in my experience, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more traction that's gained when you're showing that you're partnering with other groups that may not just be a Catholic group or a faith-based group, that it's these outside partners that you talked about that sort of give legislators pause to say, well, wait a second, maybe I should rethink this issue a little bit, that it's yeah. not just a, a Catholic issue. What's been one of the best successes you had in Colorado? Oh, um, there's there's lots that I, I've been very pleased with. I, I think a couple that come to mind um, is a group that we formed. It's an interfaith group in, in Colorado, and not necessarily a specific legislative success, but a success in terms of bringing together outside, we called it Faithful Tuesdays, and it was um, a group of very diverse religious partners in the community that came together that agreed on a specific set of, we were very intentional about the issues that we said we would agree on. We don't, as a faith community, agree on a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. um, so for us to come together in such numbers and for a consistent amount of time, every single Tuesday at the Capitol in Colorado, we had a different faith group that hosted an event for legislators, lobbyists, the outside public, anyone was welcome to attend. And it was on issues like immigration, poverty, housing reform, lots of important issues that we could be united on. And it was really unique. At the end of that, we came together and said, there's so many issues that we are united on and the issues that we disagree on at the end of the day are a lot less than the ones we agree on. And so to show that united front, for legislators and to just bring a faith voice, a, a concerted faith voice to the Capitol on a regular basis that was so diverse um, was really for me a, a wonderful opportunity and a wonderful accomplishment um, to be a part of that founding. Um, the Catholic Conference in Colorado was one of the founding members of the organization and to be a part of that and see that grow and to see it continue was a, a great achievement. Mm -hmm. Did you see impact on legislators and on legislation? We did. So we had, we moved, one of the issues we, the death penalty is still legal in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And so one of the issues that we were able to um, move legislators on, unfortunately, because of timing issues, we did the bill didn't make it all the way through the process, but we were able to convince legislators who in the past had been opposed to repealing the death penalty to reconsider. And we actually were able to get bipartisan for the first time in a very long time, bipartisan support on the bill um, to repeal the death penalty in Colorado. And so that was, even though we didn't get to finally repeal, 
we were really excited to see bipartisan, and it was because of the faith community and the faith outreach that um, some of the legislators changed their mind and decided to support repeal, mm-hmm. um, which was a great, in our mind, uh, achievement. Movement, at movement. least, of the needle. Exactly. You know, you, yes. you didn't quite get where you wanted, but right. moving, moving the needle right. makes a big difference. Yeah, and, and to have, bi- again, bipartisan support and to have it be based on, for these legislators at least, religious conviction w- was really a great accomplishment for us. Mm-hmm. You talk about that partisanship. Maryland is a fairly partisan state, mm-hmm. you know, fairly blue, but we have a Republican governor and, sure. so, and a lot of Republican legislators. Mm-hmm. How do you think that the Maryland Catholic Conference can work with a diverse uh, legislature like that? Right. Well, I think the Maryland Catholic Conference is one of the organizations that is just um, pivotal to, to doing that, exactly that. The issues that we deal with are so diverse that why wouldn't we engage a diverse amount of legislators and Republican, Democrat, independent, whatever they may be, our issue is not dependent on the party or party philosophy or party feelings about any issue. I mean, we do what we do um, because of what our faith teaches us, mm-hmm. and that's not dependent on a party. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I think that we are in a very unique position, and we have been. I mean, the Maryland Catholic Conference has historically been an organization that's worked across party lines. Mm-hmm. Um, our focus is to get the job done. <laughs> and if that means working with Republicans, Democrats, whoever it is, we're going to work with them to achieve what our desired outcome is. So um, I think we're in a really unique position and have always placed ourselves in that position to be um, not about the party or party politics, but about the issue. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been talking with Jenny Kraska, who is the new executive director of the Maryland Catholic Conference talking to her about her experience coming from Colorado to Maryland uh, to take on this position. After the break, we're going to talk some more with Jenny about the upcoming session of the Maryland General Assembly and the issues that we think are, we're going to face in that session. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with a Catholic Review. Loyola University, Maryland, received a $1 million gift from Ellen and Ed Hanway, for the construction of the Miguel B. Fernandez Family Center for Innovation and Collaborative Learning. The Hanway Academic Loft, which will be located on the top floor of the Fernandez Center, will be a collaborative space on the top floor of the center where faculty and students can engage in interactive, innovative, and interdisciplinary learning, according to the release. Ed Hanway, who graduated from Loyola in 1974, serves as a Loyola trustee and was formerly the chair of the board. He and his wife, who both received honorary doctorates from Loyola in 2014, are longtime Loyola supporters of the school, including a $5.2 million gift that was the largest in school history. The Fernandez Center will be named for trustee Miguel Mike and Constance Fernandez, and the Fernandez Family Foundation, which made a $5 million gift to Loyola for the Fernandez Center and to support need-based aid. The Fernandez Center will be located on the Evergreen Campus in North Baltimore. In addition to the Hanway Academic Loft, the Fernandez Center will include an expanded Dan and Kelly Rizzo Career Center, the Forbes Idea Lab, active learning classrooms, and innovative space for faculty. Loyola will break ground on the new project in 2020. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Lightbridge Health took over operations of Bon Secours Hospital in West Baltimore December 17th, renaming the institution Grace Medical Center. No longer a Catholic hospital, once sponsored by the Sisters of Bon Secours, the Sisters' mission will continue in West Baltimore through the Bon Secours Community Works Initiative, providing housing and other community support. 
For more on this and other stories, visit catholicreview.org. On behalf of everyone at the Catholic Review, here's wishing you a very Merry Christmas. I'm Kevin Parks. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to The Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow The Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. I'm Chris Gunty from the Catholic Review, and today our guest down in Annapolis at their office at the Maryland Catholic Conference is Jenny Kraska, who is the new Executive Director of the Maryland Conference. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you. So we talked a little bit before the break about your experience in Colorado and your, your experience here now. Before we talk about something specifically about the session, I want to talk about the fact that you're a new leader here, but we've also got new leadership in both chambers of the Maryland General Assembly. Right. What kinds of dynamics does that do to legislation and legislators? I think that that is the big question <laughs> um, that, that everybody is going to be wondering this session. Um, I, I don't know that anyone can say for sure. I think that what we are um, witnessing is something you know somewhat historic that there hasn't been a lot of change in, in leadership in, mm. in years. Unlike Colorado, there's not term limits, so mm. it's not people are not necessarily used to a, a change in leadership every couple of years or every five years or four years. So I think that we're gonna really see a, a lot of people you know, walking sort of softly a little bit to kind of see where everyone's at, feeling people out, seeing what um, the new style in leadership is gonna look like, what it means for issues, what it means for committee assignments, what it, I mean, there's a lot that is affected by new leadership. Mm -hmm. And so I think that everyone is sort of taking a, a wait and see approach right now. Um, there doesn't seem to be a really firm consensus on what it's gonna mean with the new leaders. So I, and I think that that's a good approach to take it is to, you know, you, you sort of, take people at their word and see what 
they are going to offer and see what they have to offer. And that's what I think we're going to do with, mm. with this new leadership is to kind of really see where everyone's at with issues and how they want to approach things and what their style is. And what the priorities are. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not really just the, the new leader in the House and the Senate, but a lot of committees then change exactly. because of all these domino effects. This right. person moves to that committee, this person uh-huh. moves to that committee. So that's going to change a lot of the way I think everybody deals with state government. Absolutely. And, good. Well, let's talk about some of the specific issues. Sure. One of the toughest things that we've been facing over the past several years is physician-assisted suicide. Yes. And uh, we know that the bills that have been presented in the past few years have just been terrible bills. Mm-hmm. They've just been terrible legislation. No safety net for you know people who might be coerced into to taking these these lethal drugs. No take back. No uh, system to mm-hmm. to return pills that aren't used, which then right. could be out on the market, out on the black market, or available for anybody in the home to to get a hold of. Exactly. I mean, just really terrible bills. Yes. What's physician-assisted suicide looking like for this year, and what do you think the strategy is going to be? Right. So, um, you know, more than likely we will have a physician-assisted suicide bill again um, that will try to legalize it in Maryland. And I would say the strategy, I mean, obviously is the same in the sense of the ultimate um, effort is to defeat assisted suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't want to see it legalized. I, I can tell you from my own experience in Colorado where it was finally legalized through a ballot initiative, it's not something that Maryland wants to see. It is exactly for the reasons that you articulated in terms of why the bill is bad. It's not a good law. Um, It doesn't protect people. It doesn't um, help people in the process. I mean, there's so much about the issue that I think people don't understand. And part of that is just educating themselves. And that's hopefully, you know, one of the things that efforts that we can provide as well for the Catholic community is to really educate them about what physician assisted suicide would mean. Mm -hmm. Um, for them, for the family members that might be considering it. And I think that once people start to understand what it really entails, that it's not just um, what the other side would like us to believe is some sort of compassionate way to end your life, that people start to understand that there are real serious consequences to passing a law like this that just, again, continues to lead us down a path that I don't think the people of Maryland want to be led down. Mm We look at this sometimes and we say, okay, somebody's terminally, they've gotten a diagnosis that they're terminally ill, they're in pain, here, kill yourself. Right. You know, and rather than, oh, you're in pain, mm-hmm. can we help you with that? Exactly. And it just seems like we ought to be putting our resources into helping people live mm-hmm. whatever they have left, live their best life of in whatever time they have left, rather than just simply saying, fine, erase yourself. Right. And, and I think what people um, also fail to, to recognize is that it helping the people who are in pain and, and it really deals with their their specific issues. I mean, it's not a one size fits all where every single person who's diagnosed with a terminal illness is gonna have the same experience um, and how they experience that illness, how their family does. And I think finding the help that they need, it also helps the process of dying and allowing family to be a part of that and allowing friends to be a part of that in a way that if you are just giving people uh, what, they view as sort of a one-size-fits-all prescription, which has its own tremendously horrible side effects. You know, it is not a peaceful, happy way to die (laughs) if you understand what this concoction of pills actually does Mm -hmm. that you have to take. So I I think, again, yes, educating people and having them understand what really is at stake with this and getting them truly the help that they need instead of saying, here, kill yourself, is exactly what we should be focused on as a state, not telling people, you know, 
if you're terminal, this is your option. Right. You have no value. Right. Exactly. Right. Let's switch to something that the, the Maryland Catholic Conference supports, mm -hmm. and that's paid family leave. Yes. Talk about that and why that legislation is important. Sure. So paid family leave, we're seeing sort of a, a smattering of states across the country that are starting to enact um, and pass laws around paid family leave. And so I, I think what's important and the reason why we are supporting it is really at its core, it's a pro-life issue. This is about helping families who don't necessarily have the safety nets of um, being able to take time off to deal with the birth of a child, the adoption of a child, a sick family member, whatever that may be, I think what this provides is that safety net for people to be able to access funds and be able to be financially stable when they make those decisions to care for the sick family member, to have a child, to adopt a child, whatever the situation may be that would fall under um, paid family leave is that I, I think at its core, it's, it's really uplifting the family and it's recognizing that these issues are important and that families deserve the right to have stability, to, to know that they have a job to come back to, to know that they can take the time off and not have to worry about how they're gonna pay their own bills. Um, that's important and that's one of, the, I mean, the major reason why we are so supportive of, of paid family leave. Mm -hmm. The state yet last year tried to discuss an abortion amendment, put mm -hmm. enshrining an abortion amendment into the state constitution. Yes. Is that likely to come up again this year? It is likely to come up again. Um, this year, we more than likely we will see the same, if not the exact same, something very similar to try and do something constitutionally through an amendment process. That uh, would end up on the ballot in 2020 or 2021 or 2020. 20? Okay, yes. so it would be this year. Yes. Okay, and that makes it more difficult because that's then part of the whole process of the presidential election exactly. and all of the other things that are going on. Right. Right. Yeah. What are the things that the Maryland Catholic Conference will look at to try to educate people about that? I mean, well, I mean, the bottom line is I don't know that there is a need to put something like this in our, I mean, Maryland is one of the most permissive states in the country in terms of abortion and what's allowed and not allowed and very little is not allowed. Yeah. Um, and it's Maryland. one of the few states that doesn't even track numbers. Right, that care. doesn't track numbers. And, and so I think that, I mean, ultimately, again, if we care about women and children, I mean, what we should be doing instead is looking at things that we can do to protect women and children, not enshrine something that is already clearly happening already in the state. I mean, there's no need for it, mm -hmm. um, ultimately. But I think getting people to come out and be vocal, I think, is going to be something that's um, going to be really key in, in hopefully defeating um, this type of initiative um, to get on the ballot is that you know, we hope that people as they did last year, and I'm sure will continue to do, is to stay informed about this and really um, encourage legislators to say, we don't need this in Maryland. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about one more thing. The, the sure. Boost uh, program, which provides scholarships for low-income mm -hmm. students, um, has been very, we've been very successful with that yes. through the years. What's important about preserving that and, and what, what are you gonna face in terms of preserving that? Is that just a budget thing? A big part of it, obviously, is budgetary, and, and every year I think we deal with the fact that you know there's a, a set amount of money aside, and people want to chip away at that, um, if not do away with it altogether. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's sort of a both and. Not only is it a budgetary of at least keeping the bare minimum of what we have right now, but also trying to protect the program in and of itself, because I think that there are those legislators and advocates that would like to see it done away with, unfortunately. And so I think it's a both and. We're protecting not only the program itself, but also the funding for the program. I mean, ideally, and 
you know, uh, an ideal world, which I understand we don't live in, I mean, we would like to see increases um, in boost funding would be ideal. But I mean, at, at this point in time, I think the big issue that we'll deal with is just retaining the funding at the very least that we have now. To help those boost. families that are already exactly. using it. Exactly, right. Good. Well, there, there's a lot of uh, important issues to be faced when yes. the when the session opens in January for 90 days, a, a very <laughs> a quick sprint marathon, as it were, a, yes. a, a three-month sprint. So we're glad to have you aboard at the Maryland Catholic Conference, and uh, we thank Jenny Kraska for joining us today. This is Chris Gunty, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our blessed mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.